Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. And welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I'm Adam Diamond, your beautifully bald host, and with me in the room today... That might be a stretch. <laughs> yeah, you're a bald host. <laughs> <laughs> 102 is not bad, Steve. 102 is not bad. All right, so Well, today, baldness is, by definition, beautiful. Just saying. I know. We got two... Says the only other bald fellow on the, on the podcast. Yeah, so two, two versus two right now. Uh, so today we have a very fun episode I think is going to be, um, so today I have with me, we have David Drover. Hello. We have Mr. Stephen Bray. Greetings, everybody. The man, the myth, the legend who we so rarely get to come in. And, uh, Mr. Stephen, uh, hello, 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 hello. Um, so today guys, we're going to talk about God can, and it seems like a, a simple title, um, but uh, just last month, yeah, in May, um, I almost finished a book called God Can't. Almost finished. Almost finished. I think I got about two chapters left to it. And it, I got to tell you, man, it was a hard read. I'm not, not only difficult, I mean, it just felt, <laughs> it wasn't a good book. I can tell you that. It wasn't a good book. I don't think it was at all. Um, but uh, so this this guy, his name is Thomas um Ord, I think his last name is pronounced, so it's o- Thomas O-O-R-D, for anyone listening. Um, I don't recommend the book, uh, okay. but if you want to give it a read, uh, be prepared for some very um, straightforward, you know, pat answers, um, no real backing, but uh, we can get into that later. Um, but this, this again, this is just one man's opinion right now. So to be clear, we're not doing a book review here. We're actually just dealing with the issues of what he raises, right? Yeah, yeah. So this okay. is based off of the ideas he brings up in the book. That's good, because I haven't read the book. Mm, It'd be hard to do a book good. review. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, tell me what you think. No. Um, so, so his first premise is that, you know, God can't, right? There are things that God can't do. Um, and this is a way of dealing with evil, which, you know, a lot of us struggle with. Uh, which you know we should struggle with because it is you know perplexing at times. Um, but to get started, I mean, he he makes a fair statement that there are things that God can't do. Uh, I agree. So yeah, so <laughs> can you guys tell me very quickly, like what are some things that God can't do? Uh, God can't lie. Dun dun dun. That's actual scripture, right? Like that's the one thing I'd love the fellow to do in his book is actually quote scripture. Um, oh, I mean, fair he does. It's just you know, very, very briefly, sparingly, though. out yeah. of context, probably. And it is, it is out of context. Um, yeah. Uh, so, what else? Are, you know, is there anything else God can't do? He can't lie. What else do we have? He can't cease to be God. That's fair. I mean, that's a, that. That would be another simple one, um, which means a lot of things. Because if if you, if you look at the attributes of God and basically being who God is, then God can't be anything that are complete opposites of those attributes. Mm. So he can't be unholy. He can't be unloving. He can't be, etc. We could go on a long time. Maybe attributes of God would be another good episode, another day. Well, but. and with all apologies to Stephen Furtick, he can't break the law. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But not only that, but I think it, it hurts. Like we Look, the reality is the reason books like that exist, the reason we are all having this discussion and we struggle with this is because... 
God is infinite and we aren't. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, we, we have, and so we are always left with the mystery of God and yet the reality of our emotions and our circumstances in our life. The question becomes then when you butt up against these mysteries, these struggles, these things that make your head hurt, because we're mm-hmm. going to talk about some of them. Yep. Are you going to reconstruct God to make yourself feel better? Or are you going to trust God's word no matter what I feel, because I trust that if God can't lie mm-hmm. and God cannot be unloving, that it's not just that he's loving like a feeling or emotion, whatever he does or says is love, yep. then I trust him even more than I trust myself. Mm. And of course, mm. that's going to be a pretty clear difficulty for most people. Right. Actually, probably for all people, it's going to be difficult. I- including us. Because the fact is, I mean, if the Bible is correct, and it is, we're sinners. We don't naturally go for the truth. We don't follow with what God would call us to do. We don't generally like, and we generally prefer to be God of our own universe anyway. We try to be being controlled. So if we're going to have a situation where the choice is between me being able to rationalize what God is doing and keep myself in control, mm. or actually let myself be throw myself on the mercy of an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God. Mm-hmm. In sin, I'm going to choose to make myself God. Yeah. Yeah, I came across um, a story of, you know, a rabbi, let's say, and um, it, it says, you know, let's say the rabbi lived 100 years ago, and he was up on the hill overlooking his village with his students having like a picnic of some sort, and then these, you know, soldiers or whatever who hated Jews came and destroyed their village while they were up. And so him and the children were just stuck there watching the massacre happen below them. And the rabbi said, if only I were God. And so one of the students said, well, what would you do different, differently if you were God? And the rabbi said, I wouldn't do anything differently if I were God. If I were God, I would understand Right. And that was such a great and powerful impact, uh, you know, the statement and it impacted me because, again, like we like to think, oh, I would do things differently. I would do this. But God, if we believe that he is all knowing that he knows everything and, you know, let's reference pop culture, you know, uh, Dr. Strange, you know, <laughs> out of the millions of futures he's seen, there was one future where everything worked out. Right. They defeated Thanos and he knew what had to be done to get that one future. So if, you know, God can see everything, every possible future, every possible outcome, and he knows there's one way for him to have his glory displayed, for evil to be defeated, and we can go on, then this is the way it has to happen. And all I would submit is, who wouldn't want a God like that? Mm. I just find that what what probably, and I I know this is going to be a strong word, offends me the most when people try to reconstruct God so we can kind of carry him around in our pocket even though there's a void where we all want this magnificent, all-powerful, all-knowing God, is the fact that any attempt to explain God so that you can completely understand him is to demean God mm-hmm. and to try and elevate yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're right back to the Garden of Eden. We're right back to Satan's tactic. That's that's Satan, you know, deception 101. Demean God, make yourself bigger. Yep. Uh, so, so guys, let's move on. Um, he he deals with a lot in this book, but this is going to be just an introductory to um, just the idea that God can't, and hopefully we can have a bit of a God can series, just to just 
know, put out a view that we believe is true, that is right, that is accurate, mm-hmm. and that is biblically sound. Um, so he states in his book that he believes that God can't stop evil because his love is uncontrolling. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I laugh every time I hear that. <laughs> so we, we can, you guys can help unpack what you think of that, but are there instances in Scripture to prove um, him wrong where God possibly takes control of something or someone? Well, I think, first of all, there's going to be a bit of a hermeneutical problem there because the claim in Scripture isn't that God takes control. Mm. Right. He never loses it. He's always in control. Like, he has never lost control. Which is which is a big difference. Yes. And, and so I can't really come to it. It's going to be, there are going to be a lot of statements of that truth, but there's going to be a, a, a very few statements of, you know, and God took control of this person. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that, that, that's never had to happen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to be clear, to get to the actual position that, you know, those of us who have a very high view of God's sovereignty would have, I'm not saying that God overwhelms our wills or anything like that. Our wills are subject to God's ability too, God's actions too. But let's also be clear that there are so many places throughout all of Scripture where God is doing things. Absolutely. God, He's never not doing things. Exactly. Yeah. So whether or not, I mean, obviously we would believe that he never has to take control because he always has it, but he's not just in control doing nothing. He's in control doing all sorts of stuff. Well, the we universe the is upheld by the mm-hmm. word of Jesus' power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. I yeah. mean, if uh, to use something a pastor uh, I, I heard once said, there, right now, subatomic particles are existing in the tension between the strong magnet... Uh, atomic force and the weak atomic force because Jesus says to do it. That's right. Mm-hmm. And there will come a day when he'll say when he'll stop saying that. And in that moment it will stop. There's, it also seems odd that, you know, you would think God can't control what he creates. Like, you know, <laughs> if he creates well, the world well, and this universe let, and then all of a sudden, oh, no, what do I do? Let me give you an example, okay? The difference between God and all other philosophies, religions, other gods, all these things, right? You you ask for scripture. So one of the great ones to me is in Kings, when Elijah's on Mount Carmel and he's battling the prophets mm-hmm. of Baal, and here's 400 plus prophets freaking out, praying, doing all kinds of funky liturgies and all the things that they want to do, cutting themselves, putting on quite a show. And Elijah very, you know, let's say in a godly, sarcastic way. Godly mocking. <laughs> like he literally asked the question that I would love to ask this dear friend that wrote this book. So what is God? Does he take a nap? Does he go on vacation? Maybe he's in the bathroom. Is he on the toilet? Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, this is the stuff that Elijah just instinctively asks. Well, And he says, this is not my God. And then he instantly prays a prayer in, in, in Kings that takes less than 30 seconds to say. Mm-hmm. And fire from heaven licks down to just show the nation of Israel that God is in control. Doesn't take control. Right. He's in control the entire time. Um, so, well, sorry, go ahead. So I was just going to say, I mean, to be fair, the reason why we're coming into a, a different position here too, mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody listening is going to notice this, but we're actually saying that God defines who God is and what right. God can do. Mm. The problem that I would have with the statement that God, there are things that God can't do because God is uncontrolling is because 
that imp- implicitly states that there that the thing that limits God's activity is me. That I, I'm I'm now I'm now uh, how do I put it? Reasoning from the bottom to try to get to God. Yeah, and it, that's almost always going to run into problems. Well, that's that's again this this kind of cooperativeness which to me is a, a, a syncretism. And again, it goes back to you're demeaning God and elevating yourself. And and of course, you can't help but do that right. if you're looking primarily at you. Yeah, the perspective is so, so important. Often we try and think of things as starting with us and then go to God, where it's, that's actually quite the opposite. Right. Um, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, you know, Genesis 1-1 is probably one of the most important verses, like, in the beginning, God. Right. That's where we got to start, not with us, but with God. That, yeah, that and there is no attempt to, to prove the existence. It's clearly stated. Mm-hmm, exactly. And of course, the the theologian who said this is not one of my favorite guys anyway. But he would have, uh, and but he's correct on this point. I mean, Christianity isn't the story of how man gets to God. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's the story of how God reveals Himself and shows Himself and reconciles Himself to man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Uh, so, what, what if we say God is always in control then, and God is doing things? Um, Steve, that was a, that was a great um, scripture reference again. Is there any more when we see God is working, like He enters creation and actually does something? Like He's not dependent on others to necessarily partner with Him for Him to get work done. Well, oh my goodness, there's so actually many. some really good ones where He actually quote unquote partners with humans <laughs> who thought they were fighting him. Right. I'm sorry, guys, if you had seen Steve just then, that was amazing. He did Anyways, his little video? quotation thing, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> but uh, there, there are places like this. I mean, the most famous being the one at the end of Genesis, where you see uh, Joseph and his brothers there, and, you know, he comes up with this the, the simple phrase, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And let's be clear, all of the things that happened to, to, to Joseph were pretty darned evil. Mm-hmm. But Steve, listen, and so everybody, our listening audience knows, that's Genesis 50. There's the statement, but listen, what happens? Let's, let's make sure people understand this. Mm-hmm. The brothers panic because mm-hmm. Jacob dies. Yep. Joseph's in control and in charge, and now everybody's freaking out. The, the, the brothers are like, now he's getting his revenge. I love this. It's not just what the statement he says, because when the brothers come to him, basically with another made-up story, they basically go and say, listen, now dad said you got to forgive us, right? But I love this because he says to them, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? So now this is the guy that they had sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that had been falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. This is the guy that spent three years in jail, helped out a baker and a butler who promised to remember him, didn't, and he you know languished again. Finally, God rescues him. We're talking, I think, when I did the math on this, from sold into slavery from that is like something like 15 to 17 years. And yet now he's saying, do, do you think I have the right to be God? Right. Now think about that when we we, we so cash, ca- uh, cavalierly say these. This is a guy that knew what it was to be betrayed, mm-hmm. to be falsely accused, to suffer, to do good to someone and have them not repay it. Like 
This is all the stuff we wrestle with in today's world. And yet he's like, A, I'm not God. And B, boys, listen, everything you thought you were doing evil, mm-hmm. God was in complete control the entire time. Right. And of course, the other famous one, uh, and from a Christian perspective, probably the most central one, the crucifixion of Christ <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would be a perfect example. Judas didn't do what he did, hoping that you know Jesus would rise on the third That's day right. from the grave. Yep. Uh, none of the people, none of the Jews thought that they were going to, or the Jewish leaders figured that Jesus was going to come out of the tomb. Mm-hmm. They thought they were going to get rid of him. And even one that's probably not as popularly quoted, I've just been reading through the book of Ezekiel, and, and midway towards the end, actually, as well, of chapter 20, um, this, this really stood out to me in verse 32. God is, God is saying, you know, what is in your mind shall never happen. Okay, so he's saying what you guys are thinking is not going to happen. The thought, let us be like the nations, like the tribes of, the, tribes of the countries, and worship wood and stone. So in other words, he's saying, you guys aren't going to be able to worship what you want to start worshiping. And then he continues, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched, outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. Then he goes, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then eventually he says, then you will know that I am the Lord. And notice, of course, that these are not all conditionals. That's this right. isn't, mm-hmm. if I yeah. do this, it's I will and I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. And it's not I will, provided you partner with me and do your part, then I'll do my part. Exactly. Right. It's you're, you're actually thinking this, but... No, that's not going to happen. Right. And again, this. guys, this is why I'm like, let's use our Bibles. Acts chapter 2, the great sermon that Peter preaches mm-hmm. when we talk about the crucifixion. And he says to the crowd, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, now listen to the verbiage here, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So Mm-hmm. That's the plan. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Like so, they did their part. They and from there, and it was of their free will. Mm-hmm. From their perspective, it was their choice. But we have a God who was so magnificent, so amazing. Like you referenced, Doctor Strange. Where did a human mind even come up with that concept? That Doctor Strange would know the hundred and fifty-three million variables, and there's only one. Do you not think then the God of the universe mm-hmm. doesn't not only know the future, but knows every variable, sees everything you're capable of doing and will do, and can orchestrate all of events, mm-hmm. even while moving around all of these variables of the now, what, almost 8 billion human beings on the planet? Mm-hmm. And not only can, but does. But does, right. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, too, in that example of there's only one that we win, going back to the Avengers movie, how do they win? A dude sacrifices himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it when Hollywood, they can't right, help. Because like, listen, the Bible's the greatest create, uh, place to go for creative, uh, creativity and justice and honor and all these things. And that's why Hollywood can't help itself. Mm-hmm. They have to do that. Right. And now, of course, I did want to actually, though, talk about something else about that phrase, uncontrolling love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the problem I'm going to have with that primarily is that, first of all, it's a negative He's trying to define what love is by what it is not. Mm-hmm. But second of all, I'm not even sure what that means. I don't think he does. Bless his heart. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, and I mean that in a very technical sense. I, I mean, you can't 
really talk about th- th- this seems to be a category error talking mm-hmm. about control versus with love i mean that's not actually part of the definition love is to desire the good of another mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. ultimate good of yeah, so how can you do that if it's uncontrolling right and i mean and control just isn't part of the system it's and so i'd have to actually sit down and ask the guy what the heck do you mean by that well not only that because there's no english uh construct mm-hmm. where we would identify uncontrolling as a positive right if you've got an uncontrolled temper that's never a compliment Right. Mm-hmm. So, if, and in fact, I will tell you as a pastor for a quarter of a century, who's done an awful lot of counseling, who, who is a sexual abuse survivor himself has dealt with all kinds of these types of things, um, you know, addiction, you know, mental illness, all these types of things and, and, and stuff. Even, even as a biblical counselor, I can tell you that uncontrolling love is usually never a good thing. And even if we use the example, cause I mean, um, people often use the example of, say, parenting or loving your spouse. You don't control them. But listen, if I don't control what my four-year-old does or does not do, she probably wouldn't be alive right now. Exactly. Or In fact, and some of the son. greatest <laughs> displays of your control mm-hmm. is arresting her inability to control herself. Yeah. But, of course, there's also the question of, of methodology. I mean, in some senses, uh, well... You do kind of control your spouse, not control, but, you know, for example, you try to do nice stuff for them. Mm-hmm. You find out the things, you, you study your spouse, you try to understand how, uh, how they love, what they need, what they like to do, what they don't like to do, what, what stresses them out, what doesn't stress them out. And you try to create a world in which that, that happens. Uh, th- that, that, that's controlling. And there's, <laughs> a, I mean, there's also even, let's say, you know, as, you know, ministers and that, I mean, I'm sure... Steve, right? I mean, I'm sure Debbie has looked at you sometimes and be like, you need to take a break. And, oh, and goodness. And you've probably been like, no, no, I'm good. And she, and she might see something you, you haven't seen yet. Absolutely. And I mean, that's control on her part yeah. over you when you're like, no, I don't want to. And she's like, no, you need to. I mean, Sabrina has done it to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a loving control. I, I don't know why we, we, again, we are a world right now, a culture that is so driven by our impulses and while I love, and I'm an extrovert, I'm an emotional extrovert, so I'm all about our emotions, but we seem to be so driven by our emotions that we have, we have now almost, we almost celebrate the lack of control in our desire for some sort of emotional response. Well, and this, this is probably a deeper uh, cultural issue that we'd probably have to deal with more in its own, yeah. its own thing. But I think that one of the problems with the entire statement too is that I think he's taking in a cultural more and imagining that that is what controls the theology of God. Mm-hmm. Our culture right now is based on the concept of individuals' autonomy. Yep. Now, if you talk talk to me, you know, when I'm, you know, ranting about that, there is nothing so absolutely clearly false as individual autonomy. That's right. Yep. The fact is, right now, I am relying on thousands of people just to get my voice recorded and sent out to anybody listening. Mm-hmm. I mean, from people who created electricity to the people who built these microphones to the people sitting in this room talking to me right now. Mm-hmm. There, there are thousands and thousands of people working just to do that. And by the way, all in a controlled environment. Absolutely. Now, which is what makes it good. Now, the interesting thing is in a lot of these cases, they're not actually do, doing it against their will. No. So if I see this, 
what's so weird about saying that God sees this? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we can easily go into again, like you know, Jesus commanded the wind to stop in the storm. It did. Yeah, he has control yep. over that. I mean, he made God made a donkey talk. Yep. Right. I mean, that's not something that happens every. He made day. dry bones connect together and get up mm-hmm. for Elijah. Right. Um, I mean, he forced ill. He forced demons out of people's bodies. He healed illnesses. I mean, he that's, raised people from the dead. That's control. Now, I am hoping well, uh, to. He, he, I'm sure he asked for consent before he raised. People. <laughs> yeah, maybe he asked last. Lazarus, now, before I call you for it, are you good? But but you, you know, I'll tell you right now. If you want the greatest explain uh, um, example, biblical example of God exerting control Mm -hmm. against forces that did not want to cooperate is every time that the scriptures, the gospels record Jesus casting out demons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were never in agreement with Jesus. They confronted them. They said, no fear. And Jesus was like, look, I am going to tell you to go. And then they start negotiating. Mm -hmm. And yet, though, also, it's very interesting that demons often will say, oh, the holy son of... Oh, my goodness, yes. Right? They recognize well, no they can't James, win. James says what he does. You believe in God. Great. Even the demons do and tremble. Mm-hmm. I think it's sad when humanity made in the image of God mm-hmm. seems, by the blindness of sin, as Steve started us off earlier, that we have less of an understanding of the sovereignty of God, the control of God, no. than even demons do. I do also want to, I mean, uh, while just before this, I was actually doing some uh, work uh, going through a process of uh, sexual harassment training so that, you know, we don't, we we have protection against that and that so our churches will be protected against Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But uh, one of the the reasons that we actually have this dislike for the control of God is because the fact is there are instances in our lives, and all of us have them, where somebody exerted control over us or had authority over us and they abused it. That's mm-hmm. right. And so we are going to say we don't like it. And so, but generally speaking, for some reason, we've come to the conclusion that the control itself was the problem. That's right. Yeah. When in fact the problem is no, it's because evil people had control. Well, here again, I mean, it comes back to the perspective again. I mean, if we think about our. The, the ways that humans control, the way that we control things, yeah. it's easier for us because we're sinners. We right. sinfully yeah. control other things, and then we define control like that, whereas, again, if we start with God and actually see how God controls everything, again, he's working things according to his purposes. He's working things for the good of those. It's it's actually a really good thing. Um, and, again, yeah. it's that perspective difference of starting with us and then letting sin kind of creep into everything versus starting with God, who is holy, who is good, who is loving, and then letting that really define how we use these terms. And David, you just summed it up. If we if we wanted, we could have done a 10-second podcast. Are you going to start with God, or are you going to start with yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because where you start will, will determine how you wrestle with this. And I mean, you've heard me say, mm-hmm. I ask a person all the time, give me your view of God, and I'll have a much better understanding mm-hmm. of what it is you're struggling to get through life with. And, and not only where you start, but also where you end, oh, yeah, because absolutely. so much of this perspective and, and the question of suffering is we look at it as if we're, we're in the battle now, evil still reigns, evil still yeah. here, but that's actually a misunderstanding, because if you read to the end of the book, to yeah. the end of Revelation, you know, people will often make the claim, well, God doesn't seem to be doing anything. He so is, he's and not he's... Over yet. It, yeah, exactly, it's not <laughs> over yet. Read to the end of the book, God will, and in some ways has already through the cross fully defeated evil period 
there's no well, I mean, it, there's no question. It would be the same thing as uh, let's choose a publisher as to say Harry Potter, right? If you read all the books, you know, and it still has a biblical thing like Harry dies, he comes back, kind of thing. Yep. defeats Voldemort. But if you stop before that, you're like, nope, nope, Harry doesn't win. Well, again, like, you're right back never, to the Marvel comics. You see this, mm-hmm. the Matrix, all these, all the way back to when pre you and David, all the way back to ET. We always have some hero, right? Dies on behalf of others, but someone who looks like the all all is lost. The person, the hero is dead. You know, the the really sad music starts, and then all of a sudden, there's a low rumble, and right, you know, and and I'll, you know, and then good prevails. I mean, even in the Marvel, right, when, with the or the DC, when Superman, <laughs> you know, and that's they, actually uh, another problem that I'd have with Thomas Ward's kind of ideas. He has a. Uh, a category of evil of an, of an evil that That's is right. in fact irredeemable. Mm-hmm. He there, does. Yes, there is a such thing in his thinking as irredeemable irredeemable evil, and I'm going to be you know perfectly blunt about it. I don't believe that exists. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. And not because you don't believe it. That's what the Bible says. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, to be honest with you, I think the Bible makes a really good case that there is no such thing. The animal does not exist, so I don't need to account for the animal in my theology. Yeah, so it would be the same thing as, like, you know, turning off the movie just as the hero dies and be like, oh, that's it. They never won. When right. there's still left more left to the story, you know there is. Mm-hmm. You know there's more to the Bible, but you're like, no, no, like, God just doesn't do it that way. And, of course, the ultimate problem here is that the the, the ultimate belief, do you believe that evil ultimately wins, or do you believe that good ultimately wins? And this again comes back to what Steve, you opened up with. Basically, are we going to trust something else or are we going to trust a good God who has defeated evil? I will tell you, somebody told me a a long time ago when I was really wrestling through my faith to just very lovingly, it was a throwaway statement that has become more and more uh, real to me. Steve, you know what? You you will always fight to be your own, to be the God of your life, but I'm going to tell you, you're a lousy God. Mm-hmm. And the older I get, the truer that becomes. And again, our Bible, guys, I'm always going to go back to it. The end of Revelation, or sorry, the end of Romans 11. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Yeah. Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given God a gift that he can be repaid? Now listen to this, because that's the grandeur. That's the power, the might. That's where we need to just fall down in abject humility. But then watch how Paul ends. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Like when Paul gets a glimpse of the unmitigated sovereignty of God, it doesn't scare him. It mystifies him, but it causes him joy and worship. Mm -hmm. It gives him a source to trust. Isaiah the prophet saying to Israel, my thoughts, Isaiah 55, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. This is God telling the nation, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now watch this example. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than yours. We've got to do something with that. This is God making an unmitigated claim. I am in control. Yeah, in this book, he he likes to say that those are, you know, just pat on your back verses that don't really help anyone. Like, say, if you've been raped or you know, molested. <laughs> um, that's hilarious, because I'm a guy here who faced... Mm-hmm. very serious abuse for five years who attempted suicide twice mm. 
And these are my comfort. This is my, the bomb of Gilead. This is how I can say with Joseph what other people did to me that meant for evil, God has used for good. Mm -hmm. God has used all these things to transform my life and change my life. And I'm not sitting here too and having a Skittles life. Yeah. Right. I have held an eight day old baby as it breathed its last breath and had to pass that back, that little baby to its mother and father. I've been with a 105 year old man as he's passed. away. I've been with a 16 year old, uh, you know, and done like all of in between. And yet the difference is those who see a high view of God are always comforted. Mm-hmm. Even, I don't know if you guys remember this, in, on ESPN radio, this guy, Dan uh, Batard, or I'm, I'm not saying his name, he got in all kinds of trouble with that last massacre, the Sandy Cook massacre. And because uh, then this basketball player's uh, wife was killed by a driver who was texting, but they were Christians. And this guy in the testimony was just talking about, I didn't lose my wife. Everybody says, I lost my wife. And he says, I I didn't lose my, I know where my wife is. And so these sports, you know, broadcasters were arguing over how did this guy have this kind of peace? And this fellow, Dan, who said he was a self-professed atheist, but he said, there's something about these Christians, man. They handle tragedy and the unexplained and death way better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is going to get to the fourth question that you were going to ask us about what the implications are of this. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it seems like the implication of this sovereignty view would be that, you know, you have a horrible evil God who allows you to go through evil. In fact, it goes further, actually sets up the world in such a way that you will go through this kind of evil and things. Except... If I actually believe that God is in control, that he is good, and that he's loving, mm-hmm. <laughs> there is nothing I can face here in this world that will rob me of hope. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, exactly. that's great. We've, we've come up... Uh, Just one second, though, before yep. we go. So we've, we've, we've you know, torn down a book. We didn't mean to be no, 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 too no, cheeky yeah. and tearing down a book. Obviously, the ultimate book I, I want our listening audience, and I'd love people to share this, is read the Bible. Mm-hmm. But in fairness, if you want an option... Uh, a guy named Scott Christensen just put out a book called What About Evil? It's a big book. It is very current, hot off the presses, even dealing with COVID-19. Easy to read, though. It, very easy, very attainable. Our listening off, if you are struggling with evil, if you're trying to understand it and all these types of things, mm-hmm. what God's all about, I could not more recommend this book, What About Evil? A Defense of God's Sovereign Glory by Scott Christensen, because this is a good read. Absolutely. Uh, well, for those listening, thank you uh, so much for listening. Um, and again, uh, let this be a tidbit, because we are going to do more episodes on this, so I'm hoping actually our next, uh, hopefully you see another God Can Part 2 and maybe we can even talk about then more about evil and what it means that, you know, how God is sovereign and evil still happens uh, versus God can't stop evil. Uh, so look forward to that. And again, I hope you uh, enjoyed this. You know, get into your Bible, get into God's Word, uh, pick up this resource if you can, and don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. It, it's okay for us to struggle to ask questions, um, but that's how we grow and that's how we learn to trust God even more. Uh, So thank you again for listening to Rugged Theology, and we'll catch you next time. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.com. 
www.thebookshop.ca. 